When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What a weekend of NFL football. We had three games decided by a last-second field goal. And then we got the best game of the weekend. Maybe the best game any of us have ever seen? That and more this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yeah, so you talk about openers for a headlining act. We had three unbelievable playoff games, and then, just like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones just coming on as the Sunday night final act to have one of the greatest playoff football weekends, maybe in the history of the NFL, I am Antonio Barbera, and I am joined by my two co-hosts to discuss that as well as some Ravens news. Let's bring in... Tim Horsey. Tim, you still alive? How are you doing after this weekend of games? I am exhausted. I am absolutely exhausted. Work today, as we record on a Monday afternoon, was a struggle. And we had the early, late game. The late game was not the 8 o'clock. It was a 6 o'clock over here on the East Coast or 6.30. I'm like, this is great. This will be over by 9.30, 10. It's not because it's overtime. And... The adrenaline was so high from, I'll say it, Antonio, and we'll talk about it later, the best football game as a neutral that I have ever seen. Um, And, yeah, I I ran off that until about midnight, couldn't fall asleep, laying awake in bed. So, yeah, work was a struggle today, but it was so worth it because, my Lord, what a weekend of playoff football. It It was great. It was fantastic. On the West Coast, Jace Evans, we just found out Jace got about 17 hours of sleep last night after the full weekend, so you must have... You must have enjoyed these football games too, Jace. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful. Similar to Tim, I felt like almost, I think, completely emotionally drained after the weekend of of, of these games. Just, uh, you know, kind of, I think, the, the, the come down, the crash after just like, it was like a roller coaster where you just kept going up the entire time. It was insane. For the last game of the weekend after you, as you said, Antonio, that have all these crazy games, and then have the last one, like, which was the best game on paper, live up to its billing times 10. It was incredible. It was really uh, it just an insane weekend of football. And, you know, I've probably watched close to every single playoff game that's happened for the last 15 to 20 years. And I, I, I can't remember a weekend like this. This was just wall to wall, just every single game. There's so much to talk about, so many takeaways, so many crazy plays and moments. Um, it was really exciting. Uh, it was an awesome weekend. And this is why we love the NFL. 
we previewed Chiefs Bills last week as it, it's a shame we're not getting this as the AFC Championship game. And then that was just dwarfed by the fact that it's a shame we're not getting this as a Super Bowl or like a best of seven series uh, to go to the Super Bowl or something like that. But we will talk about that game and the other playoff matchups. But first, we're going to get into a little bit of Ravens news here. And a little bit. It's more than a little bit of Ravens news. And it's Wink Martindale leaves the Baltimore Ravens. I say leaves because it's one of those sort of in-between resigned firings, go find another job, maybe not here anymore. Uh, but Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator of the Ravens, no longer. And I turn to my co-host just off the top here for your thoughts on this decision. Obviously, clearly more of a Ravens decision than a Wink Martindale decision, but thoughts on uh, on whether you saw this coming, expected this to come, and uh, and what you think his, his legacy will be with this Ravens franchise. This sounds incredibly cynical, but I, I found out the news on Friday while I was out to dinner with some friends, and my first immediate thought was, well, that was the wrong coordinator, and we don't need to talk about the other one as much here because I do want to talk about Martindale. I was surprised uh, immediately, um, but then when you kind of take a step back, you're kind of like, you know, as much as we love Wink, as much as we love the blitzing, as much as we love the mullet and the chain – and getting into the, the the pictures with the team and throwing up the signs after big defensive touchdowns and stuff like that, and the personality uh, that clearly, you know, the guys that played under him loved. I think overall it makes complete sense. Um, I don't know what his legacy is going to be. I think it's an interesting question because they never won anything. Uh, he's in the he's in the Lamar Jackson era. You know, people aren't going to remember the defenses of this time, even though 2018 best defense in the league. Number four in 2019, number seven in 2020, uh, always top 10 outside of this year when they finished 25th. Um, and that, that terrible, terrible downgrade I know has a lot to do with injuries. But for me, and we could talk more about this, for me, I think this signals a defensive rebuild that has been coming for a while now. And I think what they did, they cut off the head, but there's still many more pieces that need to be fixed. And I think this is just the start of what should be a massive defensive rebuild for the Ravens. Yeah, I completely agree, Tim. I, I was surprised also, uh, but I won't say I'm shocked. I think there is a difference between the two because Harbaugh had left some hints throughout the season that he wasn't entirely uh, you know, pleased with Wink Martindale. Uh, most prominently after the Pittsburgh game, he kind of called out the blitz, the blitzing and that. And, you know, you go to the well too many times. I forget exactly what he said, but it was something along those lines. And so, you know, from that sense, I'm not shocked. I, the timing is what surprised me. If they were going to part ways with him, and this is why I'm not 100% sure it is or was John Harbaugh's call necessarily. Um because the timing occurs when they're not at the facility. This was not an in-person firing by all accounts. John Harbaugh is in the Bahamas uh, right now with Steve Bashotti, Eric DaCosta, and some of the other, or was, I don't know if they're still there, but when the when Wink was fired, according to Jameson Hensley and Jeff Zarebic, uh, they were doing their, their off-season meetings in the Bahamas, which sounds nice. Um, <laughs> and that, uh, you know, they... they uh, the decision comes then with a statement that kind of, as you said, is a weird a statement. I kind of almost just want to read the statement 
because I think it's kind of fascinating on several levels. After several productive conversations, Don and I have agreed to move forward in separate directions. And this is via John Harbaugh and Team Statement. We have had a great run on defense, and I am very proud of what has been accomplished and the work he has done. Don has been a major contributor to the success of our defense since 2012, and especially since he became defensive coordinator four years ago. He has done a great job. Now it is time to pursue other opportunities. Sometimes the moment comes, and it's the right time. I am personally grateful for our friendship and for everything he has done in Baltimore. I don't know. That is a weird statement for a guy you're ostensibly firing. I know that probably speaks to the respect they have for Wink. Um, I'm sure I think him and John Harbaugh probably do like each other on a level. Um, but it was an odd statement, and just the timing of it when they're all together with the GM and the you know the owner and not necessarily in the facility together makes me wonder if, if perhaps uh, there were some other people kind of unhappy with Wink in the organization. Um that being said, I am also surprised that he, because I, I think changes are needed, but also a guy who has accomplished as much as he has, to have one down season uh, and be out the door, I think is a little surprising too. As you, uh, you mentioned, Tim, I mean, the, the points against are even greater numbers. Uh, it was his first three seasons, second, third, second, until they cratered to 19th this year. This was a guy, you know, the whole point of your defense is to not give up points to the other team. There was literally guy was doing it at a top three level and he has one bad year and he's shown the door. So that definitely kind of surprised me too. Yeah. But I think part of the problem here with Wink Martindale and, and every time we talk about him, you know, I think the thing over the past three seasons that we've been doing this podcast, it has progressively gotten more. What I talk about is almost in, in jest about his personality and how much <laughs> we love his personality and it's not results. It's, it's the chunk plays this year. The lack of a plan B, the going after the quarterback at an, an enormous blitz rate, like like pers- massive percentage points higher than other teams in the league, and only registering minimal amount of sacks. I mean, it's just thirty four sacks this season, which was twenty second in the league. They gave up what is it? They gave up the most completions of twenty or more yards in the NFL, seventy four and sixteen of 40 or more yards, 16 plays of 40 or more yards, and 74 of 20 or more yards. These all come from Jamison Hensley at ESPN. The results just weren't there. And I think what happened was they're looking at some of – they're looking at, at, at what needs to happen here. I mean, we've talked about it a number of times. Brandon Williams and Calais Campbell have played over 1,000 snaps together this season. Both are likely gone. They need a new middle linebacker, as we talked about last week. Patrick Queen, now you're kind of like weak side linebacker. They need playmakers in the defensive secondary. They need guys, and not only the guys to get healthy. It's And this is a narrative that I think a lot of people have talked about with the Ravens. If Eric DaCosta and this team sit back on their laurels and just say, oh, we're going to wait for everybody to get healthy and then we'll have a talented roster again, they're going to fall behind these aliens that we just saw play that we're going to talk about here in a couple of minutes. And I think this is a sign that, it had to change. There needed to be a new voice in the room. And as much as we love, you know, and God love him, I hope he goes somewhere in the NFC and just crushes it because I love Wink Martindale and kind of what he represents as old school, get after the quarterback type of guy. And I love that in theory, but that wasn't happening. It wasn't happening for this Ravens defense that was, you know, let's call it what it is, piss poor. 
They allowed the second most yards per game in franchise history, 363.4 yards per game. It was piss poor. It wasn't up to standard. And Jace and I, you know, old granddads of Pod Lake Ravens <laughs> sitting here yelling about Ravens defense. We were justified this year. We were justified because it wasn't even just by the standards of this offensive only league now in the NFL. It was bad even by those standards. And you know what? It's one of those things where they always say, uh, if there's 11 guys, right, and it's 11 guys or one guy, the coach, it's easier to fire the coach. No, this is a dual-pronged approach, I think, from Eric DaCosta, John Harbaugh, Bashadi, the rest of the organization, where Wink had to go, but there's also talent that needs to be um, replenished here as well on this side of the ball. Both can be true. It's not a black or white thing, and it's sad, and you never, obviously, you're never, like, asking for a guy's job or whatever, even though, you know, I did that to start my first rant about Greg <laughs> Roman. So, you know, they'll talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit here on Pod Like Raven. I, I think it, ha- it, it was one of those that just had to come. And, you know, we'll, now we'll see what happens moving forward. And that defense, while Martindale was there, and I don't know if this is fair to him or not, but had a reputation of not being able to close games in the moment mm-hmm. where you're up seven, got to get a stop. You're up three, got to get a stop. More than a handful of times uh, over the past three four seasons that was when they crumbled that was and that's when you have to make the best decisions that's when you have to make the best play calls have the right players in the field uh the issues this season with communication the classic like oh there was a communication breakdown yes that's the players but that funnels up to the coaching make the communication easier you know have teach your players to understand it better in a game and all these sort of little cracks uh Add it up. I mean, the defense, as Tim mentioned, those numbers, number one in 2018, four, number four the year after, number seven the year after that, and now a really bad season. It was trending in the wrong direction. Uh, and it's just, a, it's unfortunately the right time to make this type of move, as, as Tim mentioned. Get some fresh players in here and get a fresh approach, which I think is going to be uh, the other issue with the difference between Wink Martindale and the new defensive coordinator who comes in. I do think it's interesting to look at the list of defensive coordinators that the Ravens have had. The three of us were discussing this uh, in the days following the the firing, you know, quote-unquote firing of, of Martindale. Not often that a defensive coordinator leaves for negative reasons. The vast majority have gone to either head coaching jobs uh, or they've, you know, retired or they've gone somewhere else to another job immediately couple of names here Marvin Lewis obviously went to the Bengals coached there for a long time Mike Nolan went to the 49ers Rex Ryan uh went to the Jets uh Greg Madison is in that list Chuck Pagano forgot about Chuck Pagano went to the Colts uh Dean Peace and then Wink Martindale so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this uh breaking of of the culture of the Ravens organization like the, in these things that you always say like oh the teams that have had few coaches for a lot of years tend to do well over decades, you know, and, and have more success over time. Part of the Ravens' success defensively is having these long-tenured, really, really good defensive coordinators. And I don't know if Martindale is going to end up measuring up uh, with some of those other guys on that list. I, yeah, it's it is sad in, in some ways because I think, like Tim said, I, I view I think when it comes to coaches, especially certainly assistant coaches. Uh, for the Ravens. You have to view Wink as probably the most colorful they've ever had. Maybe Rex Ryan. But, um, yeah, like, it just, 
it speaks, I think, to two things. It's one, the Ravens' strong history of defense, which we've discussed many times, that they're able to, you know, and to very mixed results as head coaches. Certainly Mike Nolan, massive failure with the 49ers. Uh, but to turn, you know, th- these times basically working with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed into, uh, you know, uh, long former head coaching position. Which is but... important to note, Jace. I just want to interject for a second. All of those guys I just listed, had either or all of Suggs, Lewis, and Reed. And Wink Martindale had none of those players. That's it's... Nada. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, please continue. <laughs> yeah, so I think that does matter at least a little bit in evaluating Wink in terms of Ravens franchise history. I think the other interesting thing is all those guys, uh, the common thread between literally every defensive coordinator the Ravens have ever had is internal hires, internal promotions. Um and I wonder if, at this point if we actually get that um, because I think when you, you fire Wink, like you said, not a thing that happens to a lot of uh, Ravens coaches. We thought Wink might have left as a head coach. I know he was one of the, I believe, finalists for the Falcons job uh, that went to Arthur Smith or was certainly interviewed for that uh, position. Um, but, uh, you know, I wonder if you, you basically you fire your DC if, you know, you're doing a bigger shakeup than just promoting internally. I think that could also kind of impact the direction this goes. Like, depends on how how big the changes they want to make are. And I think if you're firing Wink Martindale, who everyone seems to like, at least on the player side, that at least signals to me you're making a big change. So I'd kind of be surprised if the Ravens go internal on this hire. But, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to certainly take a look back at the, the Ravens' defensive coordinator history and see how sort of that their hiring process and then how they've departed has gone because wink's kind of you know an outlier here and how he's exiting well let's and let's get to that now and you know this is there's a long process here about who's going to come in the internal hires and i was reading an article from our friends at ebony bird who we were partnered with at fan sided shameless plug there you can read uh, justin fried's piece about some particular candidates that might work Internal promotions, they point to the likes of Anthony Weaver, uh, former random Raven, by the way, <laughs> who's on the, the, the staff. Uh, Chris Hewitt, who has been with the Ravens since 2012. Uh, he's been the defensive backs coach and then a past defense coordinator ahead of the 2020 season. Apparently regarded as one of the top Ravens uh, assistants. So Hewitt might be the next guy to kind of take over if the Ravens do what the Ravens do. Mike McDonald, who was with the Ravens for a long time, was the defense coordinator at Michigan. Uh, and if Jim Harbaugh leaves, who knows? Maybe he wants to move and come back to Baltimore. Um, but I'm going to throw two fun ones there. Because there are, there are options. And there's obviously uh, guys that we can talk about when it's internal promotions. Uh, Drew Wilkins is another guy on the coaching staff that is being linked. But I've got two here, and I'm going to start with my second choice and then go to my first choice. Second choice would be Mike Zimmer. (laughs) Bring him back to the AFC North. I love that he's just a miserable SOB, (laughs) and that is just a guy I want coaching my defense. Parentally upset and angry. And you know what? A damn good defensive coordinator. One of these guys that maybe doesn't work out as a head coach and you could argue that Zimmer was relatively successful with the Vikings for a long time and it kind of just petered out. Zimmer getting back into a role if he wants it. I mean, talk about all the, maybe not the wink personality, but the gritty football guyness. Remember when he had to wear the eye patch because he had like a scratched cornea and had to do the whole postgame presser that way? Can you imagine the pirate on the sideline coaching the defense? Thank you very much. The other guy I have to point out to, I'm a guy that I 
I don't know. I, I, I think I went against the grain with most people when I thought he deserved more of an opportunity uh, as a head coach who was recently fired. And it's easy to pick out these guys who are recently fired with great backgrounds. But a man who has had some experience in Baltimore from 2006 to 2009 is Vic Fangio. He was the special assistant to the head coach, defensive assistant, and was a linebackers coach for the Ravens. That guy coaches deep. Like, that guy coaches incredible defenses. You think of his Bears defenses. The Broncos, the Broncos, if they have a quarterback, are a serious playoff contender, and a lot of it has to do with that defense. They trade away Von Miller, and still that team is, is a very, very strong unit. So for me, I know you don't back the Brinks truck up for a defensive coordinator, but if the Ravens do make a splash, like Jay said, and maybe it's something you need to do if you're going to do a full rebuild, Vic Fangio coming back to Baltimore, Ravens defensive coordinator under Harbaugh. Yes, please. Yes, please. Let's do that. That would that would be exciting. The only thing we'd have to obviously uh, they'd have to view the whole running thing from earlier uh, this season as water under the ah, bridge. Ah, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. <laughs> but if they work that out, I'm all for it. That would be two fantastic uh, veteran coach choices for sure, Tim. So. We, you know, we could talk about this for longer, but we have other things to discuss, so we will move away from this. We will obviously keep you all abreast of uh, any news that comes out of, of who the Ravens end up going with. It, it, I liked, I like both of Tim's picks. It just feels like an inside hire is the Ravens. It's gonna be Chris Hewitt. Mo yeah, for it'll this be type Chris of thing, but we will, uh, we will see some positive news in terms of uh, Ravens front office movement is that the Giants uh, hired a GM, and it's not Joe Ortiz. Uh, it is Joe Schoen from the Bills, so it does seem like Ortiz's will be staying with the Ravens for, for the near future, so it's good to see uh, one guy stay uh, stay in the building, so to speak. And then there's a couple of small things. I don't, oh my gosh, I don't really want to discuss one of them, but I'm going to announce them both, and I will let each of you take one of them uh, for a minute and no more. <laughs> and then the first one is Antonio Brown says that he wants to come play for the Baltimore Ravens. And then Lamar Jackson subtweeted like the video of it with the purple emoji. He's not coming to Baltimore, but he wants to play for Baltimore. So that's so that's humorous. And then Brian Billick in the news for a co- potential coaching role or will be getting a coaching role. So uh, I guess, did, Tim, do you want to start with the uh, Antonio Brown news? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to talk about it either, but it's it's going to take the world by storm again. And it's it, it, the he won in the I Am Athlete show with uh, Brandon Marshall. It looks like Nick Young is in there. Athlete is a strong word for him, but, you know, whatever. They're all in there on their couch, and, and he basically – Brandon Marshall's asking him a couple questions, and he goes – the quote is, Lamar Jackson, Action Jackson, let's give Lamar his flowers. Shout out Lamar, that's it. Lamar's a great quarterback. And I watched, I've watched this clip. Uh, when it came out uh, on Monday afternoon, and everybody then goes, he wants to play with Baltimore. There was never really a question about who do you want to play with next. It's just like he loves Lamar, and then he kind of like, you know, Antonio Brown's kind of a weird guy. He just kind of like lets it float out in the ether. Marshall kind of tries to push him on it. It doesn't happen. Um, And, yeah, the thing that scares me most is Lamar Jackson quote-tweeting this. I know you're not the biggest Twitter guy, Antonio, but quote-tweeting this, not subtweeting this. With the purple devil smiley emoji, and I'm just, that's the part that infuriates me. I don't care about Antonio Brown going, I want to play with my cousin, I want to play with Lamar Jackson, these guys are great. I care about Lamar pressuring the front office to try and bring him in, and I don't think it's going to happen, but 
It's just like I just we just don't need it. Just 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 stop. Just I want DaCosta and Harbaugh to get on a Zoom call with Lamar right now and say, buddy, first of all, come down to the Bahamas if you'd like to hang out. We got an extra room for you. We'll chill. Second of all, no, it's not happening. We're sorry. You saw the guy strip down to his skivvies and run off of a football field. He doesn't have a career anymore. Let's try and work it out with his younger cousin, you know, the guy that's already on the team. Let's work it out with that one before we try and bring in the disgruntled pain-in-the-butt wide receiver that is Antonio Brown. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, someone has to shut it down because it is not happening. We all know this. But that it even comes up is, frankly, annoying. (laughs) Um, Not much to say about Billick. I just found it fascinating. So for those who don't know, Herman Edwards, longtime coach of the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, is the head coach at Arizona State these days. Uh, And he hired Brian Billick to be the third different head coach on his staff because Marvin Lewis, former Bengals coach, aforementioned former Ravens DC, is also on the Arizona State football staff. And uh, yeah, he's just apparently serving as an offensive analyst and advisor. Uh, Herm had this to say in a statement, which kind of made me laugh. Uh, Brian is one of the brightest offensive minds in football today, and that is especially why I hired him. Which I don't, you know, I love Brian Billick as an analyst. I think he's an awesome analyst, and uh, that's basically what he's going to be doing just for a team directly. Um, But it is a little funny to say, I think, of a guy who hasn't coached a game in 15 years that he's one of the brightest minds in in football today. But, uh, you know, teach their own. But uh, Stop disparaging Brian Billick. Get out of here, Jay Sevens. Jeez Louise. I'm happy for the guy. Get him back back in the coaching ranks. I love Brian Billick. We talked about colorful colorful characters. He's got to be probably number one uh, all time. The the Lion's Den speech, etc. But... um, yeah, I just found that strange. I didn't really know what to make of it other than Herb just keeps hiring like 65-year-old former <laughs> NFL head coaches for an Arizona State team that goes like 7-6 and six every year. So <laughs> it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I, he'll just be somewhere watching tape uh, in Arizona, I guess, or probably even at his house. I don't know that he has to be there, but yeah. Is, it, is Marvin Lewis on that staff yeah, too? Yeah, Jeez. he's like a defense. I think he's the DC now. Like he got like co-defensive coordinator role because he also started as an analyst but i think he's up in the booth now uh no his official title is technically special advisor to the head coach <laughs> okay yeah. State. because marvin lewis was so successful as a head coach. yeah so i you yeah. know it's i don't know exactly what herb's doing it doesn't it's unclear but i enjoy that he's bringing all these former afc north coaches uh just to arizona state for no for no real reason, but good for Billick. He's back back in the game in a tangential sort of way. All those uh, brought to you by like Microsoft Surface clips of uh, analyzing film for Billick finally paid off, and now he gets <laughs> uh, back in the coaching game at Arizona State. So congratulations to uh, to Brian. Um, all right, we're gonna do the random Raven now because after that we are going to dive into the games that were in the NFL playoffs and the games that are coming up next weekend. So I'm up this week, so I'm going to go for the Random Raven. And it's a, look, it's a tough one. I'm going to say that now. It's a tough name, but it's a crazy story. And I'm just going to take you down a little path, and I'll be impressed if you guys get it, and we'll leave it at that. But it's not like the most obscure player by his bio, but I certainly had... Never heard of this player, but he had quite a story. So, this random Raven 
was drafted by the team in the sixth round of the 1997 NFL Draft. He was with the Ravens for four seasons, playing in all 16 games in each season as a backup linebacker, and won a Super Bowl with the team in 2001. After the Super Bowl season, he was arrested on a minor drug charge, and the Ravens cut him, but the charges were eventually dropped, and after a short off-season stint with the Bengals, the Ravens re-signed him for the 2002 season, and he started 14 games for them in that season. In 2003, he signed a four-year extension with the Ravens. However, he found competition for his starting outside linebacker spot when the Ravens drafted a guy by the name of Terrell Suggs in the first round. So I'm going to take a quick break because I have a Baltimore... I then dug up, because this is the research that we do on Pod Like a Raven. I dug up a Baltimore Sun article written by Brent Jones in 2003. Uh, And this is... I'm going to read a section of it. Uh, So this player thought he might have a permanent home as one of the starting outside linebackers in the Ravens' 3-4 scheme after signing a four-year deal less than two months ago. But the Ravens drafted Terrell Suggs with their 10th overall pick and have him penciled in as co-starter. Ravens officials will likely be in a rush to get Suggs, who set an NCAA record with 24 sacks at Arizona State last season, on the field, and he will likely provide far more competition for this random Raven than expected. So we fast forward uh, past that season, and Suggs would end up with 12 sacks, 5 forced fumbles, 9 tackles for loss... And he would win AP Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, and this random Raven would only play one more season with the team in 2004. So that competition ended up uh, not being great for this random Raven. However, all in all, this random Raven played seven seasons with the team, recording 193 tackles, seven sacks, and 15 tackles for loss. And he never played for another team. He wore the numbers number 51 in his first stint with the team and then 90 in his second stint with the team. And that is the random Raven. Um, because I have no idea, and I don't want to derail the show too much, but I just, I'm quickly, I worry, because it's coming up soon, I worry that Terrell Suggs is going to be overshadowed in Hall of Fame votes. And maybe it's just me wanting him to be in so desperately, and maybe it's because there were so many great pass rushers of this era but T-Sizzle, man, like, uh, Jace, you're, you're, you're all over the history of the game. Are you worried at all? Like, I don't want to do a whole full section on this, but are you worried at all that Suggs might get overrun, like, overrun a little bit and not make the Hall of Fame? Because like, Antonio read out the rookie numbers, and that was, like, one of his worst seasons. The guy was incredible. I think he gets in. He doesn't have, like, a ton of all-pro nods. That's the only kind of thing. But he's, like, top 10 in sacks all time, I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah. Um, oh, and let's hope. I saw a thing during these playoffs. He's, like, second in postseason sacks, which I wasn't aware of. Um, I guess just because he played so many playoff games with the Ravens. But uh, um, I think he gets in. I don't know. I don't think he'll be first ballot. But as you said, rookie of the year. He won a defensive player of the year award, I believe, in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, he's top 10 in sacks. He was very versatile. He had a ton of forced fumbles in his career. I, I think he gets in. It'll be interesting. I don't know that he was the most liked, uh, 
you know, player in the world, which matters. Oh no! When he things. came, he came out. He said, "I'm the bad guy." When he came came out to the Steelers game, he goes, "I'm the bad guy. They hate me." Hell yeah, they do. So, Ugh. but I think I think enough writers like him because he was entertaining, which is not something you can say of uh, you know a large swath of players. <laughs> Uh, in the NFL and wasn't afraid to speak his mind. So he gave people a lot to talk about. So I think he gets in, but I won't be surprised if he kind of lingers on the ballot a few years. I'm going to read one more paragraph from this. It, <laughs> it's very fun to read old local articles of sports teams and the players who were around and what the topics were. Again, from 2003, the Ravens coach Brian Billick downplayed the significance of who was running with the first team at this point of the year. And he was talking about the competition between Suggs and this random Raven. Suggs did start off alongside Ray Lewis, Ed Hartwell, and Peter Bulwer during team drills yesterday. And, uh, boy, it'd be much easier to be a defensive coordinator if those were <laughs> those were your four starting linebackers in a 3-4 scheme. So, good luck to the new oh. defensive coordinator. Try to get one of those guys uh, in the linebacking core, and then the job will be a lot easier. So, I will read over that again at the end of this episode. Uh, I, I, I do think I have a name, actually. Wow. Of course, number, of course, I'll... Chase has a name for this. Uh, and for the listener, I, I would categorize this one as, if you got this one, please let us know, because uh, I read the name and first had no idea who it was and then couldn't believe that this guy played many snaps with the team over seven different seasons. So we will answer that at the end of the episode. But for now, time to turn to the rest of the NFL and time to turn to these ridiculous games that we saw over the weekend. <laughs> Starting first with the Bengals versus the Titans. Bengals winning on the road 19-16. to At the time, this seemed like the craziest playoff game and ended up being like fourth most interesting of the four. Um, I'm going to label this one just as sacks versus interceptions. Uh, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times and still won this football game because Ryan Tannehill threw three interceptions. Um... He threw an interception on his first throw to immediately give the Bengals the lead. He then threw a horrendous interception inside the Bengals' 10-yard line, went down 10 points in the third quarter, and then he completed his masterpiece with a third interception, giving the Bengals a chance to win it before going to overtime with less than a minute remaining. Guys, I assumed you watched all of this game. Uh, what did you make of, uh, of Joe Burrow and the Bengals considering how bad Tannehill was and really gave them the game in a lot of respects? Yeah, I just have a couple takes from this. One, I think it we all got to see, yeah, the Titans weren't a one seed. You know, and it's like, well, their record is who they beat. But, like, look at the blue chippers compared to some of the other teams in the playoffs right now. Um Two, during the game, and I know I was had this debate with plenty of friends as well, I didn't know who to root, root for because, man, I do not like the Tennessee Titans. And the Bengals, like, and we'll talk about this later in the preview because obviously they're going to the AFC Championship. I might be rooting for the Bengals over the Chiefs, but I don't really know. Um, I don't – I almost think – and this is, again, a lot of this is hindsight 2020, but after watching the game play out, maybe it's a bit of overreaction – I almost wonder if Derrick Henry wasn't back if the Titans maybe win this game because they actually give it to Donta Foreman, who was, by all respects, playing pretty well. And then Tannehill, I think, has reached the point where the Titans and this AFC, and I'll let you do the Bengals, Jace. I don't want to loom too long here. In the AFC now, there's Herbert, there's Burrow, 
there's Allen, there's Mahomes, there's Lamar Jackson, there's maybe Deshaun Watson, Baker where he ends up. involved, of course. <laughs> That's on me. There's That's Allen. A there's That's a five-second penalty on me. There's Herbert. Yeah, yeah, we're putting you in the box, bud. Um, Tannehill's not going to be a guy that gets it done in the AFC. It's just, it's just a fact. And it's one of these things we see it in the NBA, you know, and I'm not the biggest NBA guy, but you, all the conversation about the NBA is you got to have a superstar to win. A middling team can't make the run and win. Now the NFL playoffs is a little bit different. It's a one game shot rather than seven game series and things like that. But I think you're getting to the point. If you don't have one of these dudes, you are not going to compete. Even, even if it's an off year for some of the guys, because there's so many of them that they're not all going to have off years at the same time. It sounds bad because you're the number one seed. Vrabel's a great coach, what have you. I think you got to move on from Tannehill, and you have to do it now before this becomes worse than it should be. Or worse than, you know, it'll get progressively worse over the years if you don't just cut the cord now and try and restart at the quarterback position. I, I kind of agree, Tim. I think that was an eye-opening performance for him. The problem for the Titans is uh, to basically to accommodate acquiring Julio Jones, they um, – they uh, restructured Tannehill's contract, so he's kind of <laughs> locked in at $29 million guaranteed for next year. Uh, so not great for the Titans, certainly. I think for me, though, uh, Antonio, the thing that I really kind of took away from this game is just how tough Joe Burrow is because he took a beating in this game. I mean, the Titans' defensive line was utterly dominant, and I think – Certainly the Bengals offensive line problems that were known last year and that caused the whole, you know, Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase debate, which I think the Bengals made the right choice. Jamar Chase is a special player. He He's just, he's the first rookie um, to have two, multiple 100-yard receiving games in the playoffs. And the Bengals have played two playoff games. <laughs> so, to uh, you know, that's, I'm sure, like, other rookies have had, you know, the till the Super Bowl to accomplish that feat. But he's two for two with 100-yard games in the playoffs. He's money. Um, but the Bengals' offensive line problems are still there. They could have used Penesul at tackle as well. Uh, so that's something, certainly something they have to be addressed. I think it puts a clear ceiling on the team. I had a theory that got debunked that we'll get to, I guess, uh, during uh, that just insane Mahomes-Allen thriller that the only thing, and this was, you know, before the Rams epic comeback, which will also, or uh, the comeback in the Rams-Bucks game when it was 27-3, I had a working theory that the only thing that actually matters in the NFL is uh, your offensive and defensive lines. Because what we'd seen throughout the whole weekend was these dominant defensive lines, uh, you know, just wreaking havoc. Um, and we certainly saw the Titans. Jeffrey Simmons, one of the more underrated defensive tackles in the NFL, uh, was awesome for the Titans Had three sacks. But at the end of the day, you guys said, uh, and I was debating this. We were texting about it in, uh, with some of my high school buddies. It, turnovers are more important than, than sacks of the playoffs. Sacks can be okay. Now, nine sacks is a ton of sacks, but the turnovers, you said, killed them. I mean, it directly led to six points in a game they lost by three uh, <laughs> and took other points off the board uh, when they were on the – was it their own ten when that Mike Hilton interception happened? So they just couldn't come overcome those mistakes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Titans, it's a missed opportunity. They've somehow never won a game at home when they've been the number one seed. Shout out the Ravens for the first <laughs> two of those. Um, 
and it's weird. Nissan Stadium historically one of uh, Titans have a great record there at home over the years, but it just doesn't matter in the playoffs. Um, and yeah, certainly Tannehill killed them on uh, Saturday. Yeah. I mean, all turnovers are bad, but it just seemed like his. I mean, he had many of them, but they were all at the worst moments worst <laughs> like opening the game finishing the game and then the one when you're in the red zone like you couldn't have picked worse spots <laughs> to gosh to give the ball back and not score their running game was was rolling also they averaged like five yards a carry between foreman and henry i'm i look i uh, believe it or not i'm not a doctor uh, i haven't said that on the on the show i don't think before <laughs> but i'm not a doctor however uh, Unlike the rest of Twitter, yeah, 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 I, 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 I fight them on all the medical, uh, medical debates. I thought Henry looked okay. I, I, there were parts of me where looking at him, it was the burst looks good, the aggressiveness looks good, but he seemed to be like falling to contact a lot easier than he did before the injury. And I don't know if that's like conditioning. I don't know if it's the actual foot. Um, but, like, guys that he would blow up, he was instead sort of just getting, like, ankle tackled and was down quickly. And that it's a shame they tried to bring him back. He still had a pretty good game overall. But Tim's point is well taken that Foreman ended up getting four carries in the game because of uh, trying to get the ball to Henry. And Foreman looks really freaking good, too. Um, and then to the, your point earlier, Jace, about Joe Burrow getting sacked nine times and being tough, he didn't. It, like, when quarterbacks start to get sacked three, four, five times, their uh, like their pocket presence changes, their demeanor changes. Uh, that maybe they start rushing the ball out sooner, or they, they're just checking everything down, or max protecting, or something like that. But he seemed so just even he, after every single sack. He would get up, not like uh, annoyed at his lineman or anything like that. He's just. I hate how good of a professional he is and how good of a teammate he is so early in his NFL career. And that's just going to be, it's just going to be such a problem in the AFC North and the AFC as a whole. Uh, Tim, anything else uh, from this Bengals Titans game before we move to that uh, ridiculous nightcap on Saturday? No, no, let's get to it. Let's do it. Oh boy. It just, it ruined everybody's, well, everybody It ruined a lot of people's teases, parlays, uh, and it's the 49ers-Packers in a game that we can just say it, special teams just absolutely doomed. Green Bay, uh, I mean, the 49ers offense did exactly what everyone thought. There'd be a couple of bad throws from Jimmy Garoppolo. Debo Samuel would run wild, run over, around, and through things and have success. But the Packers' offense was a different story. I think that was outside of the, even the special teams. People expected it because of how bad the Packers were all season. But the Packers' offense was what was strange here. They have a touchdown on their first drive, and then nothing for the rest of the game. And the sort of Twitter rumblings were that the 49ers played much softer coverage on the first drive than they did for the rest of the game. And that worked after giving up the touchdown. The Packers only adding a field goal for the entire rest of the game. And it was a rare instance for me watching Rodgers struggle. And by struggle, I mean 49ers just doubled Devontae Adams on almost every single play. And it was an, it was like a known thing early in that game. And yet Rodgers seemed to be looking his way on every dropback. That was his first read. But with the 49ers pass rush, he didn't have time to then like scan the other receivers who were either one-on-one or not covered at all. And that's like the opposite of Rodgers, I feel like. He is too 
smart to look away from the guy. He just had no faith in anybody else outside of Adams or his running backs. He ended up having 11 targets to Adams, 10 targets to Aaron Jones out of the backfield, and then every other receiver basically had one target, much less catches, for the game. And it was a disaster, and they were unable to score, unable to move the ball, and it just seemed like they were going to get away from it, seemed like they were going to get away with it, excuse me, seemed like they were going to have just enough points because Jimmy Garoppolo is on the other side. And then the special teams happened. Uh, and I'll, I'll turn it to my co-hosts here on what they saw uh, in this 49ers-Packers game. Well, so that for me, Antonio, is exactly like, I was like, wow, Packers are playing bad. But I didn't think it was going to matter because Jimmy G was so awful for so much of this game. He At one point, he had like six completions for like 37 yards with a pick. He was just, he was abominable. And... You know, he, he he barely gets over 100 yards for the game. He finishes with 130. But, like, I thought I, for as much as the Packers were struggling, I just thought, I was like, they're just going to win this game 10-3 to because the Niners can't do anything. And the Packers' defense was playing great, we should say. I thought the Packers' defense had a great game. Um, but, you know, especially they make that late fourth down stop, and you're like, all right, you know, it's, it's going the Packers' way. Like, Maybe they win 10-3, but maybe they can figure it out. They'll have the NFC Championship game at home. Things will be fine. And then the block punt occurs. And everything, that, like the second the ball hit his hand, I felt like I entered like a different state. Like like I I shifted into the twilight zone or something. Because A, that plays weird. They blocked the punt and no one knows where the ball is. Neither the Packers nor the Niners. It's just kind of everyone's just standing there. It's like it must have went straight up and then down and it bounces. Somehow no one on the Packers still knows where the ball is. Guy on the Niners picks it up and runs it in. And then suddenly we have a tie game. And you're like, how is this game tied? Uh, you know, as bad as the Packers played, I thought the 49ers offense was even worse. And then, yeah, just everything after that felt like almost like a fever dream. Like it was like Rogers almost threw like a pick six immediately after that. He threw a ball that the Niners guy got a great jump on. And then he had that weird, tried to basically just very far, as people said on Twitter, a Farvian throw that towards Devontae Adams, just kind of, double covered down the middle of the field. He just tried to force it to him and they punt. And that was basically, you know, the, the game, the Niners, you know, take that possession uh, after, after the Packers, like just kind of a weird three and out and then score the game winning field goal. And the number one seeds out uh, 13 to 10 on a, on a game. The other team didn't score a touchdown on offense. It was, it was so strange. And I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. It was shocking. I think it might get overshadowed, uh, by the results of Sunday, just because those games were so crazy. But um, I, I think for me, coming out of this weekend, this is the most important story because I think, you know, this is a team that's window might be closed. I mean, we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be back with the Packers. They're the first team in NFL history to win 13 games three straight years, and they make no Super Bowl appearances. I, I think, you know, I don't think it's entirely his fault. Certainly he didn't get the punt blocked, but this has to be a state on Aaron Rodgers' is like playoff like legacy, right? Like, He's now five and four at Lambeau in the playoffs, a place where you know until into our lifetimes, literally no other team had won other than the Packers uh, until like 2002, and now it, it's basically they're they're 500 at Lambeau with their one of the best, supposedly best quarterbacks of all time in the playoffs. That's just it's not good, and I think there's big change coming for that team. You know, one way they have to, they're in a serious cap trouble, and. I think that's the brutal side of the NFL is we might have seen the window close and it was because of just, just 
bizarre game the Niners had no business winning that they won, and now they're going to the uh, NFC Championship game. I am I'm I'm so offended by that last sentence. The, they didn't deserve to win this game. They come out in the, the special teams phase that the Packers were notoriously bad at all year. They shut down Aaron Rodgers because they realized that guess what? Antonio, maybe earlier in his career Aaron Rodgers is slinging it to this that and the other. All he does now is throw it to Devontae Adams. That's all he wants. The Niners know it. The Niners take it away. The Niners pull the Belichick. We're going to take away the one thing you don't do well. And then their defensive line. Oh, they just get after everybody. Bosa coming in there, swallowing Aaron Rodgers up multiple times. And don't get me started on making Trent Williams a pulling tight end. It is probably my favorite football play I have ever seen. I have watched the clip. I almost joined TikTok just to see it on there with some of the cool (laughs) beat drops and stuff because that would have been awesome. They pull Trent Williams of a tight end from the left side. They motion him in and you get this dude with a full head of steam wanting to kill everybody in green. And guess what? He does. He does. It is amazing. I don't know. I, I, the beginning of this season, I went on, I did an oddspedia thing for a European betting company, and they said a dark horse Super Bowl contender. And I went to San Francisco 49ers because they play good defense. They got guys coming back, and they run the freaking ball. And you know when that, that works? In January, in the playoffs, this Niners team, yeah, Jimmy G, he stinks. He was terrible. But all you guys want to do is focus on the worst part of this Niners team. I thought they they played the game that they were supposed to play. Make it ugly. Make it mean. Piss off. They, it, it confuse Rodgers. Piss off Rodgers. Make him have a poor game. He was horrible in this game. Aaron Rodgers' legacy has taken a massive hit because of this. It's 0-4 against the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. It's one conference championship win. It's one Super Bowl that he got when he had a top-five defense. He's never... And this defense is good. He's never, he's always had this excuse of, oh, you know, the defense let me down or whatever. No, 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 no. They didn't let you down. He did this, all this whining and moaning. And I like Aaron Rodgers, but he did all this whining and moaning beginning of the season. Oh, I don't have the talent. Look at the talent on this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Rashawn Gary played his butt off. Adrian Amos, shout out him. Yeah, Hall. He had a pick of Jimmy on Jimmy G, which was a horrendous throw, I know. <laughs> they have Jair Alexander and the Eric Stokes, the rookie, is a good player. This is a talented talented Packers team and the fact that you're going they don't they didn't deserve to take this game no they deserve to take this game because they muddled it up exactly like you're supposed to muddle it up it got snowy they went hey Trent hit that dude as hard as you can and we're gonna get Debo and Elijah Mitchell behind you he said yes sir yes sir let's do this they made it angry and I just oh I there was something about this game that was my favorite game of the weekend I honestly I'm not even kidding Watch this game with just so much warmth in my heart because maybe it reminded me of the, the old Baltimore Ravens teams. Maybe it did. Bad quarterback play, good at running the ball, great defense. Sure, that's fine. You can give me that excuse, but I thought this Niners game plan was awesome. And spoiler alert, I'm picking them to beat the Rams. I think this team is going to the Super Bowl because of the way they play. Jimmy G will throw three picks next week and I'll look like a fool, I know. But I just, I just outside of that quarterback, which I understand is a massive caveat, I thought the way they played this game, and they came up big. And then, oh, the clip at the end. If you didn't see the clip at the end, Jimmy G and, uh, and Robbie Gold go up, and, and I can't do the whole clip. You can find it on, on social media because this is a family show. But one of, I don't know which one. I believe it's Jimmy G that goes, 
Yeah, he must because it's definitely not about him. He goes, you're an effing legend. And Robbie Gold goes, F the Packers and walks <laughs> out. And it's like this. It's just, oh, I love everything about this team and, and their mean nastiness. And, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a love affair with the only team I have left in this playoff. Former Bears kicker uh, Robbie Gold right. had enough right. incentive to not like the Packers. I will come to Jace's defense for a second in that I would say the 49ers didn't deserve this game. Not I don't agree with it fully, but only because if that punt is not returned for a touchdown, you can't convince me that they're ever scoring a touchdown <laughs> offensively in that game. And of course, the one didn't need it. special didn't need teams it. disaster leads to them picking the ball up and scoring. But Tim, you liked this game because it was the Ravens, as you as you mentioned at the end. Scoring your offense scores fewer points than your defense scores, and you or than your defense and special team scores, and you win a playoff game. Gar- Garoppolo looked like early Joe Flacco with <laughs> like six completions, twenty yards, and you win a playoff game on the road. Like it was just so perfectly like like a Ravens of old where they do just enough on offense to just get out of the way of their defense yes. and special teams to, to win points, to get points and win a game on the road. Can, and for the Packers a, side, just painful, Jace. Well, yeah, just a, 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 one, an aside on, I don't understand how the best team in the league has the worst special teams. You would think, like, just by virtue of, like, the Packers are clearly super talented. They went 13-4 and four this season. You would think by virtue of just having good players, your special team should be good. But I guess it just speaks to the attention some teams, like the Ravens, paid to it, where you have guys like Anthony Levine and Chris Board and, uh, you know, Tylen Wallace or Miles Boykin, just these gunners and dedicated guys who are like, you know, the Ravens have kept Anthony Levine employed for literally a full decade at this point because they love him on special teams. and They and don't a, love his defense, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they're like, can he play DB? We'd rather not, but <laughs> but they keep them around. And I guess it kind of speaks to like the importance of kind of you know having guys like that. Obviously, the Patriots always have good special teams, and like they have a guy like Matthew Slater who's like a <laughs> ten-time All-Pro for special teams or something ridiculous. Like I, it's certainly something you would think that I can't imagine the Packers special teams coach, you know, not to predict or hope or wish for people to get fired or anything like that, but. It seems like the most obvious slam dunk in the world that you'll see a Packers special teams coach change this offseason. I don't even think we talked about, on the final play of the game, the game-winning field goal, the Packers had 10 guys on the field. They didn't even have all 11 guys. It's a, It was kind of the cherry on top of just a, an epically awful special teams. They had a field goal blocked right before halftime earlier. That could have also, you know, been an additional three points to so the Niners are kicking to tie the game at the very end rather than, you know win the game it was just it's just awful and i don't understand how teams that good can have literally the worst special teams in the league it makes no sense right it wasn't even like oh yeah their punt team blocks really poorly no it was just every aspect of their special team <laughs> yeah, was they bad. gave, they up, gave like up, a, up multiple long <laughs> kickoff returns return to to at one point <laughs> uh, it was just horrendous and if you do that you deserve to lose and the packers and aaron Rodgers deserve to lose that football game and the 49ers advance to play the winner of our next game that we need to talk about, which was the Sunday early game, which again, then the 49ers game ends, and you're like, oh, now that's the best playoff game of the weekend. And then Rams-Bucks came up and said, hold my beer, watch this game. Rams go up 27-3 to in the third quarter. Boy, isn't that a familiar score. 
Jokes are being made. Yeah, the the, the social media is that I don't understand. The, the, Tim made a TikTok reference. I don't. Oh, oh boy, <laughs> not, not even going to touch that. Um, but after the twenty-seven to three lead, the Rams then go on their subsequent offensive possessions: <laughs> fumble, punt, fumble, missed field goal that was short from forty-seven yards, punt, fumble, <laughs> and that helps the Rams give up this lead, and eventually makes it a tie game. And uh, the, the, more social media things are happening. Tom Brady's once again doing the voodoo. It doesn't make any sense. How is this happening? It's a tie game. We're going to overtime. Of course the Bucks are going to take this in overtime. And then the Rams did something that I did not expect at that juncture, given those possessions that I just listed off, with less than a minute. I'll have to pull it up if one of you has it. I'm not sure how much time was on the clock when that last drive started, but it's less than a minute. Uh, it looks like 143 was the time when the Bucks uh, scored to tie. Okay, well then I take it back. Then it's more time than I. No, thought. no, no. I have I have 42 seconds. Oh yeah, you're 42 right. 42 seconds. Okay. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the wrong time. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> 42 so, seconds when Leonard Fournette goes into the end zone. So less than a minute. You've looked horrendous. The crowd is as loud as it's ever been. I thought it was going to be. We're going to kneel this out and go to overtime. I especially thought they were going to kneel it out and go to overtime when Matthew Stafford decided, here's my chance to run with the ball, and he fumbled again, but was able to fall on it and recover it, and then they have one deep throw, Cooper Cup, of course you would leave him, of course you would blitz and leave the best wide receiver of the year wide open, puts him in field goal range, and all of a sudden the game is over, Tom Brady is dumbfounded, staring off into the sky because it's not how it was supposed to be. Guys... Another ridiculous game, uh, and I suppose you disagree with me about. Were you guys feeling good about Stafford and the the Rams going for it late? I mean, I I wasn't feeling good about Matt Stafford in that moment. No, <laughs> not whatsoever. I mean, I was feeling worse about Cam Akers. You know, I but I'm so happy for Matt Stafford. I really am. He seems like a, a genuine dude, and it was just the inevitability of this collapse. You get to 27-3, and here come all the memes. It's not the exact score, but all the 28-3s go up. All, I even t- I, One of my hosts for SiriusXMFC lives in Tampa, and he tweeted, Bucks look in trouble, and I literally tweeted him back the picture of 28-3 from the Super Bowl. And they, it's been talked about. Odell Beckham Jr. even post-game said, man, they have the goat on the other side. This, air, or this aura excuse me, of inevitability with Tom Brady came out and... I, don't, I, I think it plays a role. The, the data people and the analytics people will tell you no. I think it absolutely plays a role when he goes into FU mode and you're like, and, and the Rams got nervous and shaky and they didn't know what to do. And as, as Antonio laid out, I, was, I pulled up the drives because I was going to say it if you didn't, but you're an expert host, so you already had it ready. It's just a, a complete capitulation. And it could have been maybe, maybe not because it's the Super Bowl, but like, on par with the collapse that the Falcons had against Tom Brady's Patriots uh, a couple of years ago now. And I think, I I don't know, this is part of the reason, and we'll get to the previews in a a little bit later, this is part of the reason I actually like the Niners because they can at least muddle some stuff up and the Pack, or excuse me, the Rams have this capitulation factor and Stafford has it too, but Stafford was great uh, on Sunday, 28-38, 336 yards, two touchdowns, Cooper Cup, nine catches for 183. You mentioned the two big ones, uh, the 20-yarder and then the 44-yarder to put him in field goal range. And for the Bucks, 
I mean, Jace, you talk about window shut. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think Brady comes back. There's speculation that it could be his last game. Arians has already kind of quashed that a little bit, saying we expect him to be back. I'll be back. The team's coming back. But this team is old. Come from Robert Mays of the Athletic and listen to the Athletic Football Show if you want to get nerdy like Jason and I do about this stuff. Sometimes they do a really good job breaking this stuff down in a in the very you know the I understand half of what they're saying type of way. <laughs> but in August, when final cuts were made, they had the third oldest roster in the league. They've they've managed this cap in a brilliant way, but you got to pay the piper at some point, and it's coming. And I don't know what the future of this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is. And look, you never doubt Brady. If he comes back, they're going to be up there with a shot. But that that might have been, even if he comes back, that might have been the door closing on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning another Super Bowl. Yeah, because they brought like their entire team back, basically. From Everybody back. It was like their, yeah. their chance to go for it again. And, you know, it was weird because, like, you know, halfway through this game, this was uh, Antonio Wynn. I, I, I believe I texted you all uh, when the Rams were up 27-3. to The only thing that matters is your offensive and defensive line. Because without Tristan Wirfs, and then their backup to the backup on the right side, uh, the, the Bucks' offensive line was just getting caved in. Um, and they're a pretty good unit. But with Aaron Donald up front, and Von Miller's been awesome for them, I just thought it was it was, it was. was you know, game over. And I was like, you know, we watched Aaron Rodgers score 10 points last night because the 49ers defensive line kept him in check. And his offensive line has some injury issues as well. Um, you know, injuries to the Bucks line and the Rams dominant defensive line. I was like, quarterback's the only thing that matters, but this Tom Brady voodoo, you mentioned it. I didn't even think he played like that. Well, now the deep ball to Evans was a spectacular throw, but he just has like, this a presence and an ability to like seemingly make the impossible happen. And if I am to believe that this might be Tom Brady's last game, the fact that he didn't win this game could be proof that is the spell broken. Did he expend all of it just to get the game tied? Uh, all the magic, all the magic beans. I don't know. Um, I'm inclined to think he call, he does come back. He did literally lead the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns as a 44 year old man. So he's at the top of his game right now. Um, and, but he's, I mean, incredible to watch, I, you know, not to praise Tom Brady too much, but I, I found as he's gotten older and not played for the Patriots, I've at least appreciated him a little more, I think, but cause what he's doing, we'll never see again. We I mean, we just saw Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, implode in the final season of his career and he's five years younger. Like it's crazy what Brady's doing. Um, but man, I, I thought for sure they were going to come back and you mentioned just you laid out all the drives but like the way it happened to Antonio like Cooper Cup fumbles right your most sure-handed guy just kind of puts it on the ground and it's 27 to 6 at that point and you're like and it's the first play too it's the first play after 27 6 they hit Cooper Cup for a game and then he puts it on the ground and you're like okay that's not great but then the very next play I believe it's Von Miller forces a fumble and you're like we're back. It's all good. And then the Rams center snaps it 20 yards behind him past Stafford. And you're like, is this happening right now? And then it just, you know, can you mention Cam Akers fumbles short from 47 from a pro level kicker. One of the most absurd things I've ever seen in good weather. I, there was speculation in our house as we were watching it. Like, did he think it was a 37 yard field goal? How are you short from 47? We, we were all so confused. We were like, wow, he nailed it. And then they said no good. And we were literally confused as to what happened. We were like, 
wait, was that short? And he, he was short for 47. I can't believe it. I've never seen a more absurd kicking thing in my life, I think. But yeah, I mean, the Rams really did their best to throw this one in the toilet. But I am glad that, because uh, like you said, I was absolutely stunned. I, I thought for sure they were going to kneel, to kneel it out. I even said it aloud to the friends I was watching the game with. I'm like, oh, they'll just take this to overtime because... McVeigh was already doing his super conservative thing where they're they're just handing off anyway late and then of course Cam Akers fumbles to make the the game tying touchdown even more <laughs> even even easier so I I thought for sure it was it was it was going Tom Brady's way especially after Aaron Rodgers loses you know winner of that game hosts the NFC title game because you know the Niners are the sixth seed so you're like you're like, Tom Brady's going to host the NFC Championship game. He's going to go to the Super Bowl again. He's going to win the Super Bowl. And then it didn't happen. And uh, it was stunning. I think similarly, I have concerns about the Rams and their ability to close games after this. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was just impressed. They, I, I was impressed that McVay put the faith in Stafford that we certainly didn't see him put in Jared Goff to win that game. And those were two just money throws. And I think showed like why Stafford... Um, uh, matters why they acquired him the plays he can make that certainly Jared Goff couldn't and I think I don't I don't want to say it wrecked my thesis that the only thing that matters in the NFL is uh uh offensive and defensive line play but certainly the late game I think shattered shattered that idea and reminded me that oh yeah quarterback's the most important thing in the world but this game set the stage for that <laughs> well let's get to that last game uh because again Rams Bucks finishes and you're like wow that was an amazing <laughs> that was the best playoff game of the weekend and then it's Bills Chiefs and I have we've all watched a lot of football games I, I don't know if I've ever seen a game even with the Manning Brady games I don't know if I've ever seen a game that was so clearly a heavyweight fight of two top quarterbacks showing the other guy Oh, you think you're the best dog in the league right now? Like, watch this. Like, it felt like a like a Nike ad or something. Like, a, <laughs> who's got next or something, something like that. And it was just over and over again. Neither of those guys thought that they could possibly be beat, that every time they got the ball, they were going to score a touchdown. And once we got to the second half, that is almost what happened. Uh, the Bills score, we can talk, feel free to dive into other stuff that happens that happened earlier in this game. But after the Bills score... To make it 29-26 to 26 with a minute and 54 seconds left. There were three different drives after that in regulation that ended with, yeah, but they left him too much time. And they were all inside of two minutes, back and forth, back and forth. There's the 13 seconds left drive, which is not something I had seen or heard before, where the Chiefs turned 13 seconds into three plays and a game-tying field goal. There was overtime, and that's going to be a, a hotly contested debate, but before we talk about too much of all of this game, let's start at least with your guys' first impressions of this game, of this matchup between the two quarterbacks, and just in how much trouble are the Ravens over the next 10 years? So I want to, I want to start my analysis with just the, the one, two, three, four tweets I sent out during this game. Football rules. Football rules! I love this! Ah! I love this game. Those are the four <laughs> tweets I sent out during this game. Um, I I recently watched, was it Tennessee Purdue in the college bowls? Was it maybe Vanderbilt? No, it was Tennessee Purdue. Yeah, that was where crazy. It was, 
touchdown, 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 touchdown. And I thought that was one of the craziest ends I've ever seen. And then this game happened. 177 passing yards after the two-minute warning. <laughs> after the two-minute warning in this game. And just the amount of plays that these guys were making with their legs. And when I say with their legs, it's not even running the football. It's getting away from guys. There was a play, I believe it was Frank. No, no, no it was um, uh, Melvin Ingram puts the right tackle on his butt with one move, and Josh Allen looks dead to rights on a fourth down. He just kind of squirms by him, pushes him out of the way, and then fires a missile. The Gabriel Davis legitimately putting a guy on skates almost broke a defender's ankles with a, with a post route move. It was incredible. The, the plays Mahomes was making as well, Tyreek Hill stepping up in big moments, the big punt return from Hill as well. It, this end of this game had everything. And yet, Antonio brings up the, the most important part for an episode of Pod Like a Raven. <laughs> I know. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't more work for me, I would just bleep this out. But we're effed. We are totally screwed. If these guys are in... Lamar Jackson is not in, at this level of quarterback. And I think that it is fair to say, and I don't want to believe it, trust me, but I speak the truth here on this podcast to you, the lovely listener. In the moment, I was just I wrapped like wrapped up in it, and I didn't really care. But waking up this morning, you know, the the football hangover, as it were, I did think, "Damn, uh, our chance is going to come when these two teams accidentally get knocked out, or somebody has a down year, and we can kind of slip by." Because it was it was like watching a different sport with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes doing what they were doing on Sunday night. I had a very similar feeling, uh, Tim, in the aftermath of this game. I think it, it was it was almost. I feel like like the emotions got too high. Like I was watching football Nirvana, and you know you're like, yeah. I'll never reach it was this amazing. again. I'll never, it was I'll never witness this again. Um, but in addition to you know just the fear of never beating these guys in the playoffs, and we've already lost playoff game to one of them, uh, <laughs> as Lamar Jackson has. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the fear I have, um, well, what's bothering Jace? Uh, I Here think the other thing I took away from this, I kind of didn't like that the Chiefs won. They're entering kind of Patriots territory for me. Um, Ooh. and, uh, you know, I was so, so elated that Josh Allen touchdown to put the up it was just such a money performance legendary i mean gabriel davis four touchdowns this unsung wide receiver in the group you know josh allen they, they have they have three fourth down conversions in this game um and i believe two on the final drive it, certainly that last touchdown was one fourth and 13 and he hits a touchdown with 13 seconds to go um to, to you think send them to the AFC title game. We know the Bengals upset the Titans. We know the AFC title game is going to be in Buffalo for the first time in over 25 years. I was just like so happy for Bills fans. Uh, and then the Chiefs won and it kind of bummed me out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Like I think as, as fun as that game was, as even mind blowing as the Chiefs scoring was, it's four straight AFC championship games now for the Chiefs. Um, and I, you know, am I, I loved this. It was, I think possibly, as you said, the greatest game, uh, certainly the greatest ending I've watched. Uh, fun fact, only the Ravens versus Vikings in 2013 has had more points scored in the final two minutes. That crazy game. If you remember that with our, 
uh, I believe one of the original random Ravens, Marlon Brown scoring in that game, <laughs> um, uh, the game winning touchdown. But, uh, so it was one of the greatest games I ever watched. And in the end, I'm like, will I ever rewatch this? Because the Patriots have been involved in a lot of great games too, that I'm not going to be rewatching, uh, on YouTube because it was just another, another March in the inevitable, uh, machine of the new England Patriots dynasty. And I worry as a football fan, as an AFC, uh, a fan of an AFC team, I'm just watching Patriots 2.0 with a quarterback who's only 25 or 26, whatever he is now. Um, and it kind of bummed me out. You know, I mean, I think I, the Bills are certainly going to be a concern for the Ravens, but but the Chiefs winning this game and, and pulling that off at the end kind of kind of made it all less special to me, sort of, in the end. Like, I don't have the fond... Like, if the Bills held on there, I'd have, I think, fond memories about this game forever. But now I think it was amazing to watch, and I don't know that I'll really think about this game a ton again, honestly. <laughs> I don't disagree with that take at all, Jace. I really don't. And I think the Chiefs are getting to that point where, you know, I was at a house with watching the house with plenty of Ravens fans and one Patriots fan. The Pats fan was rooting for the Chiefs because obviously, you know, the embarrassment that happened the weekend before. The Ravens fans were all rooting for the Bills and Josh Allen and the over because, you know, some people, you know, had some some best in some interest. Skin in the game. Uh, yeah, some a little bit of skin in the game. But um, I, I completely agree with you. And on that. And, and, and Antonio, I know you want to have your say on this game, too. But I think we also have to talk about the overtime rule, um, because I think a lot of it is immediate reactionary. This game was awesome and it got ruined by the coin. Like, uh, uh. And then there's the pushback to the initial reaction, because this is Twitter. This is how this works. Well, you got to make a stop and you got to do the thing on defense. You got to you got to make a stop. This is football. That's a side of the ball, too. The way that people the way that defense is supposed to be played now. I don't necessarily agree with the have to get a stop thing. And I think they're, and I'll go quickly. We don't have to, because every show you listen to is going to do the overtime rule thing. But I think in the playoffs with the most elite talent there is, especially at the quarterback position, the rule needs to change where each team gets at least one possession. That's it. It's touchdown, touchdown. And then if, if you want to find some way that maybe it doesn't prolong, you find it something to change that but I mean it's playoff football we all want more of it anyway in the regular season I don't care I think you leave it as it is but in the playoffs when it's this and then you could there's so much at stake and you can tell the defenses are gassed to rely on just a coin flip I think it kind of kind of cheapens it a little bit for me the only thing I push back on is well I I subscribe to the theory that nothing will ever please anyone who's on twitter.com well true uh, (laughs) um but you know, for me, I think I was fine with sudden death, honestly. I, maybe that makes me super old school. But, uh, you know, I mean, for me, it's like the overtime rules aren't why the Bills lost the game. They lost the game because they somehow allowed the Chiefs to go 44 yards in 13 seconds. And just one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. I, I, I still don't know how they did it. I don't get it. I don't. I think we mentioned against the Steelers. I don't know how Travis Kelsey gets so far downfield for not being that fast a guy. Um, but, you know, it, 
I, I get the argument, Tim, but I do think at the, at the end of the day, someone has to win. <laughs> the the word, thing I worry about is we're going to, each person get a possession and then people will say, well, that's not fair. Now it's a tie game and now next next possession wins. And you're just going to keep kicking the can down the road until you play 80 overtimes and everyone says, oh, this stinks too. I, there's no good solution to overtime, I think. That's just kind of the, 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 the rule book I subscribe to. Because if they went to college overtimes, everyone would hate that too. And they're just pretending they don't um, but yeah i definitely don't want overtime not the 25 yard line yeah right so I, I don't know that there's a good solution to it but yeah for me the bills lost this game just with those final 13 seconds and uh, you know but maybe that's i thought it was kind of just fate accompli at the once it went to overtime that the chiefs are gonna win just because i don't see how you like emotionally could bounce back from that so i don't know maybe i was just in in a dark place where i just accepted a chief's win but uh you know i i I, for me, the overtime rules are fine. It kind of is what it is. But I, if they change them, I'm not going to cry about it either, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm leaning more towards Jace because I think it's I think it's a bummer that we didn't get the Bills to have a chance in this game that was clearly a back-and-forth affair, and you don't get to see Josh Allen take, you know, even the score, have, have one more chance compared to Mahomes to tie it again. But I just don't think there's any... There's nothing better. There's no solution that is going to fix what is a tie in sports. I mean, you look at <laughs> make it a pe- Tim. We're just going to go to penalty kicks. We're going to do field goal kickers from the 50, 50 yards, and then move them back. Move them back from sign there. me up. And the, the Ravens best kicker of all time. The Ravens never lose a game again. <laughs> but I just yeah. I mean, you add the you know the Bills should have gotten another possession, and then I agree with Jace. Like then they're both going to get a possession. And then the Chiefs would have scored again, and then the game would have ended, and you would have said, well, wait a minute, why didn't the Bills get a second possession? Because uh, there's two sides to the game. There's offense and there's defense, and you have to excel at both to win games. But uh, the other topic that we could also discuss, we've, we sort of circled it a little bit here, but uh, the Chiefs scoring a field goal with really not even, they didn't even need all 13 of the seconds. I think they only ended up needed like nine of them, nine or ten. Uh, and another hotly contested debate has been the Bills kickoff at the start of that possession, choosing to kick the ball directly into the end zone that ran off none of the 13 seconds as opposed to doing like a squib kick or something like that to force the Chiefs to return it and take a few seconds off the clock. That's been talked up the wall. I don't disagree with the Bills at all. Uh, I think when there's 13 seconds left, your biggest issue is the Three nine forty time speed returner picking this ball up and running it for a touchdown, or having a really good return that gets them into field goal range. So I kind of liked it. I was fine with it. You just shouldn't be then giving up thirty yards in five four seconds on two different plays, <laughs> and you did that twice. Uh, and you do that, you don't deserve to <laughs> to win a football game. So uh, I'll let you guys finish up Bills Chiefs here before we get to the championship previews. It's just a, an all-time heartbreaker for the Bills. Like, you know, a team that has not had a lot of playoff success since the Jim Kelly glory days. And those glory days, if you need a reminder, ended with uh, four straight Super Bowl losses. A thing that no one has accomplished before and never will do again. It's, uh, you know, a very cruel, <laughs> cruel series of events. But, uh, um, I thought I thought it was going to be their time. It felt like it, and instead, you know, now we just get the Chiefs again, which I don't know what to make of the Chiefs. Like, 
their defense seems like it's bad, but <laughs> again, but well, and the but the thing we haven't talked about, uh, Tyron Matthew going out on their yes. first, I believe it was their first series defensively with a concussion. That was a huge problem with them, and that will be a gigantic issue in their next game. Uh, which, if you guys are okay, I know I'm cutting you off a little bit, Chase, but they are playing a good offense against the Bengals with a lot of good weapons. Guess who you need? Your best, maybe your best defensive player, but certainly your best guy in the secondary. Chiefs, seven-point favorites in this game. It's a nice big line. I complained to uh, to the two guys uh, earlier in the weekend that had the Titans just won. We could have had Chiefs at Tennessee, and the line would have been like two, and it would have been the easiest Chiefs pick of all time. Instead, the Chiefs are at home, and it's seven, and they play this Bengals team. They lost to the Bengals like three weeks ago in a game that mattered, and I I don't know what to do. I I don't know what to think about this game. After watching the Bengals in the postseason, I have some doubts about whether they can match up touchdown for touchdown against the Chiefs, but they beat them. They beat them three weeks ago, so a seven-point line is terrifying. What do you guys think of, uh, of this game and that line? Well, the offense, that's the thing. We talked about Jamar Chase earlier, Antonio, and he absolutely decimated uh, the, the the Chiefs in their first matchup. And that's a problem, especially if Tyrod Matthew, as you said, their best best defensive back is out. So that, but then the way you mentioned the Bengals defensive line or offensive line has just been awful, frankly, in the first two playoff games. Like, they weren't good against the Raiders. Uh, they were even less good, obviously, against the Titans. Uh, I believe they're they held under... No, they had 26 points against the Raiders, I believe. But, like, they're not... They're not... They have not been a high-scoring machine. You know, they scored 19 points against the Titans. So, um, I, I also don't know what to think. I don't know that they're going to be able to match... Um, the Chiefs score for score in this game because it seems like I mean we didn't even really talk we kind of talked about it but like the Tyreek Hill touchdown uh, late in the game was just astounding I mean that was like a perfect play call but to just the speed he had he caught it and we like he's at the 50 and we're like we were talking the guys I was watching with it Andrew and my friend Russell we were just like that's a touchdown. No one's catching him. And then he, he just goes streaking up the sideline. It was just, just astounding speed. And Kelsey's awesome. I don't really think the Bengals have an answer, a great answer for him. And Arrowhead, it's a hard place to play. You know, it's it's interesting to me that, like, uh, the Bills and the, the Chiefs, two of the teams that have, uh, you know, two of the best home field advantages in the NFL have two of the oldest stadiums. I don't know what that says, but I think the fans get rowdy at these uh, these old these old arenas where there's not too much else to do other than drink beer and get loud. So um, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to, weather's probably going to suck. I can't imagine Kansas City in January is going to be nice. And I just think it benefits the home team. Um to win i for me i don't know if we want to do picks i'm just gonna pick the bengals uh to cover uh the plus seven because i do think that's a big line and i think burrow is special but i I think they they fall short um of the super bowl even though they kind of seem they're on this magical run i i think the chiefs uh, they they proved to me against the bills you can't kill them they're 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 on a mission now and now they got i think the hard game out of the way maybe there's some hangover there but now i think they can see that they're the best team left in the nfl uh by record and i think they can sense another super bowl and are going to play really well it's so funny because everything you just said i didn't know who i was going to pick in this game 
because I hate the line. I think the line is too many points for a, a conference championship game. But then you just started talking. I went, yeah, it's Chiefs minus seven. Even though you picked <laughs> Bengals plus seven. I think the offensive line is a problem for guys like Frank Clark and, and uh, Chris Jones on the defensive line for the Chiefs. Um, I think you're right. I mean, first of all, if if I have to name this episode something topical to take you behind the scenes, I really just want to name it Drink Beer and Get Loud. Like, put that on my tombstone. That was That's an incredible thing. There was a report that the Bengals are the drunkest fan base in the National Football League, which, uh, you know, I would believe if you have to watch the Cincinnati Bengals year in and year out outside of this year. Um, but for me, yeah, I, there's something about this Chiefs team. I mean, the other great quote outside of, again, Drink Beer and Get Loud is just amazing was and with 13 seconds left, we didn't talk about it, Andy Reid told Patrick Mahomes, when it gets grim, go be the Grim Reaper, which is the coolest thing Andy Reid has ever said. And he also has made, compared the Super Bowl to like a sirloin steak. So <laughs> it, it, the, guy, the guy's just a quote machine. But I think the Chiefs are just going to be too much. I think Joe Burrow can't do it all by himself. The sacks pile up. They just do. He's, a, he's, he's Superman back there, we know. But at some point, he's going to get rattled, I think, at Arrowhead. And even with the seven, maybe it's a late seven. It's, it's a four-point game, and it, it, there's a slam-the-door touchdown by Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, because I think you're right. The, de- the Cincinnati defense has been good, but it hasn't been fantastic, and I think the Chiefs can expose that. Even though, you know, fail to mention for the, the one Cincinnati fan that might list- hate listen to Pod Like a Raven, they did beat the Chiefs late in the year this year. So we do know that it, that it is capable and that they are – it's happened before, so it could happen again. As a Ravens fan, though – I think I'm going to root for the Bengals. We already, we've already touched on this, Chase, with what you talked about, the, uh, the inevitability, the patriots of the Chiefs. I think I'm going to root for the Bengals in this game because of that. But, but you know, heart, head, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit here. Give me Chiefs minus seven. We, we should say this is the Bengals' first AFC title game appearance in 33 years, the Chiefs yeah. uh, four in a row. So certainly <laughs> a little difference in terms of recent playoff uh, success there. That's funny. I uh, uh, first of all, I'm not as annoyed at the Chiefs. They've won one Super Bowl. I mean, that's for me is not enough. You talk about like patriot level hate. They've got over a decade to go in terms of uh, accomplishments and annoyance. I think the likability of a Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady <laughs> and B Reed versus Belichick is like two different. Reed Belichick is a big difference. <laughs> stratospheres of likability, but I will not be rooting for the Bengals in this game. Uh, <laughs> I do not like them. I do not like them with uh, with ham. I do not like them with eggs. I do not like Sam. I am. I <laughs> none of it. I watch them strut and scream and like be so proud of themselves after beating our practice squad players. Uh, and, like, watching our bus pull out after a regular season victory. Like, no thank you. Uh, I'll be rooting for the Chiefs in this game. I think seven points... There's different games leading up to matchups that I analyze. There there are some games where I see, and I think that was the team's Super Bowl, and so I'm not sure that they're going to then play well the following game. Then there's games that they've played, and I think... They know that they cannot be stopped now. Uh, The Ravens had that in their Super Bowl run. Once they beat the Broncos, that Patriots game was over uh, because they had gotten the monkey off their back and they were ready to get the revenge in New England. And, you know, then that was a famous uh, double-digit victory. 
the Chiefs winning this Bills game multiple times when the odds were against them, I think they now believe they cannot lose. They have a much easier opponent overall. Uh, and I think the Bengals, we end up talking about how they're one year away uh, with, with their franchise quarterback, with the talent that they have, a wide receiver, and, and all that. And I'm going to pick the Chiefs. I'm going to pick them. I'm going to hope that Matthew comes back for this game because he will make a gigantic difference just based on the matchup. And I don't. I think the Chiefs will score in the 30s, and I don't think the Bengals can get there. So I, I'm seeing like a 32 to 22 kind of game, 35, 24 kind of game, and and that the Chiefs end up covering that. On the other side, in the NFC, 49ers will travel to the Rams. I say travel because the the. <laughs> The players will have to travel. The fans will also travel. This game also just happened. The 49ers went into L.A. All of their fans went into L.A. (laughs) They fell down by 17 points, and then they came all the way back, and they won a must-win game to get into the playoffs in overtime. So once again, I do not know what to think about these two teams. Will this be a defensive battle with the 49ers, just all of their defense, and the Rams' defensive line just throttling both offenses back and forth? Or is this a Rams by 20? I, I feel like these are the two narratives. Either we have another 49ers game that's like 16-13, 19-14, or the Rams score a couple of touchdowns early and Garoppolo is not bringing them back and the Rams end up winning this by, by 20 points. So thoughts on 49ers at Rams. So I'll be quick here um, because I've, I've, you know, waxed poetic about the, the Niners already here. And you heard that about 30 minutes ago in this recording. But um, interesting controversy here that SoFi, if you're trying to get st- tickets directly through SoFi Stadium where the Rams play, they are being restricted to residents of the greater Los Angeles region. This comes right from an important event info website that they have, quote, Residency will be based on credit card billing address at checkout. Orders by residents outside of the greater Los Angeles region will be canceled without notice and refunds given. Now, is that even Ticketmaster? <laughs> I don't know. I did, you know, I didn't dive in too deep. Apparently, Ticketmaster has now unrestricted them. Uh, there's a comment from a definitely a uh, 49ers fan uh, under this uh, BR gridiron story that I'm reading goes. Ticketmaster unrestricted them. We good. And then some other people tagging some like LA newspapers that say you can buy them on Ticketmaster now outside of the area. So a controversy that has been quelled already. So as you're right, Antonio, there will be 95% 49ers fans there because there are just more of them than Rams fans at this point. Um, And you know, my pick, I think this is a defensive battle. I think the Niners have owned the Rams recently. I think Kyle Shanahan versus McVay is awesome. And so I'm picking the 49ers plus the three and a half. I've been riding them all playoffs. I'm going to continue to do so. And I only, my only thing I will say on here, there are injury concerns about Debo Samuel and Trent Williams. Trent Williams left the game on crutches, I believe, uh, this weekend. Debo obviously went out as well, and they don't know his certainty. If those two are out or limited, that changes my pick completely But because they're obviously so important. But if they're healthy, ready to go, and not, maybe not even fully healthy, but 85%, 75%, 85%. Whatever I'm the still, percentage I'm, of 49er fans at the stadium. <laughs> right, they're, exactly. They're that healthy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm riding with the Niners. Give me them plus three and a half. So I, I've gone back and forth on this one a bunch. I think I'm landing on Rams minus three and a half, even though it is going to basically – 
at best be a neutral site game <laughs> in, in, uh, at SoFi, which is a cool stadium, as I said, I've been, but uh, not going to be in attendance for this one. Tickets a little too expensive, <laughs> and I uh, also want to watch the other uh, playoff game on Sunday, because uh, that's the kind of football guy I am, I guess. But um, yeah, I so if that... If that late third and fourth quarter didn't happen, I'd be so confident in the Rams because for for two and a half games or for one and a half games of these playoffs, they played about as well uh, as any team in the playoffs, maybe outside the Bills. Um, they were just so good against the Cardinals and they looked so dominant. I mean, I was literally about to tweet when Von Miller forced that fumble uh, after uh Cooper Cup's fumble of Tom Brady. I was like, this is why you get stars. And then the Rams center snapped it 20 yards back and undid the whole thing. But, uh, and I never tweeted it, but the, the Rams have stars and they've shown up. Beckham's had some good games in the playoffs here for them. Cooper Cup's unstoppable. One of the, <laughs> one of the crazier stories I think we've ever seen from a, a third round receiver or whatever he was to just become like the best receiver in the game out of seemingly not nowhere. Like he's had good seasons, but just to, the level he jumped up this year is crazy. And I, they, they, they look so good. I mean, they look so good against the Niners two weeks ago, jumping out to that 17 0 lead. I just, you know, that's the first game Sean McVay's ever lost after trailing at halftime was that game. And he almost managed to do it again against the, uh, the bucks. So I certainly have concerns about how they close games, but Stafford's been really good in these playoffs on the whole. You know, he didn't he didn't uh, throw any interceptions against the Bucks, and um, I I just think he's been playing at a, a special level. And when he plays special, you know, the Rams are just so talented. I think they have the advantage. And I think at some point, Jimmy G is going to have to try win the Niners a game if they're going to win the Super Bowl. And I think this I think this is the game. Even though, again, he did do that. He was the one who led them on that game-winning uh, or game-tying drive uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, I, I think this is the game his mistakes kind of catch up to him. And um, the the, uh, the Rams get the win and uh, go to the Super Bowl that they'll uh, be hosting. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, the Super Bowl is in LA <laughs> this year. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. I, pick-wise, I have no idea what to do with this game. The 49ers, I forgot, beat the Rams twice this year. Not just in that matchup three weeks ago, but they also beat them badly earlier in the season. Six straight times, Antonio. It's a multi-season streak at this point. Uh, if you're picking the Rams, the line, I don't know if I, I think I've, it's three and a half, but uh, that half a point is terrifying if you're uh, if you're picking the Rams in this game that ends up rearing its ugly head late when it's a tie game. Uh and yet, I think the Rams are better, and I think the 49ers have just exceeded all expectations to this point, and that only works for so long. Uh, I think the Rams' defensive line can cause the 49ers problems in their run game, which is how they've been so successful. So I'm, I'm torn. Uh, I am going to pick the Rams. I hate it, and I'll be talking about next week why I should have gone with Tim because of that extra half point. But I'm taking the Rams minus three and a half. Uh, and I'll be excited to go one and one uh, on, <laughs> <laughs> with my weekly yeah. picks. No, no result in this game will surprise me, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, all right. The last thing yet to do is to go over the random Raven one more time. I'm going to give my co-hosts a chance to answer it. This random Raven was drafted by the team in the sixth round of the 1997 NFL Draft. 
He was with the team for four seasons, playing in all 16 games in each season as a backup linebacker, and he won a Super Bowl with the team in 2001. After the Super Bowl season, he was arrested on a minor drug charge, and the Ravens cut him, but the charges were eventually dropped, and after a short off-season stint with the Raiders, the Ravens re-signed him for the 2002 season, and he started 14 games for them. In 2003, he signed a four-year extension with the team. However, he found competition for his starting outside linebacker spot when the Ravens drafted a guy by the name of Terrell Suggs in the first round. Suggs would end up with 12 sacks, five forced fumbles, and nine tackles for loss in that rookie season, winning AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, and this random Raven would only play one more season with the Ravens in 2004. All in all, he played seven seasons with the team, recording 193 tackles, 7 sacks, and 15 tackles for loss, and never played for another team. He wore the number 51 in his first stint, and then 90 in his second stint. Who is this random Raven? Take it, Jace. I got no idea. So the name that popped in my head is, is this Cornell Brown? Of course it is. Of course it's Cornell Brown. What is wrong with you, Jace Evans? (laughs) What a pull. Uh, the, ni- the number, the 90, I remember. I don't... <laughs> I think that's it. My I, word. I was scanning the rosters to pick a player and saw that name and thought, oh man, this we haven't done him. This could be a good one, but I'm sure he only played like half a season with the team, and that's why I haven't heard of him. No, seven seasons, many starts, played in 16 games. In six of the seven years, he played in all 16 games. <laughs> Didn't know who he was, but of course, Jay Evans, all over it. <laughs> I Cornell think I, I knew he was on the Super Bowl team. I did not know he played seven seasons <laughs> for the Ravens. That is, that is certainly astounding uh, to find out. Well, fantastic job, Jace. That's going to do it for us. If last weekend was any indication of how these playoff games are going to go, I am excited for the two conference championship games this Sunday. We hope you are as well. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you for the Super Bowl preview next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.